Right, so we are in Ephesians chapter 4. Look what it says in verse 8. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now he that ascended, what is it? But that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth. He that descended is the same also that descended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. So what were these gifts that he gave unto men? He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body in Christ of Christ, till we all come into the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So, according to the Scriptures, we see God is talking about He gave gifts to men and He gave them for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry. And He names several things. And one of the uh, gifts that He gave for the work of the ministry was pastors that's recommended that He mentions there. Now, while I would highly recommend that pastors not refer to themselves as wonderful gifts, just understand biblically, a pastor is a gift. Okay, we got a scripture on it, but uh, I'm not going to go calling myself that. But uh, if the Bible calls it that, you know, that's, uh, I can point that out. That's okay. But sadly, there are there are some pastors, though. Even though they have that title, pastor, even though they have the role of pastor, sometimes there's wicked men that find themselves in that position that are not doing their job properly. And you know what? There's a curse. There's a curse on them. Jeremiah 23, 1 says, Woe be unto the pastors that destroy and scatter the sheep of my pastors, saith the Lord. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God of Israel against the pastors that feed my people. Ye have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not visited them. Behold, I will visit upon you the evil of your doings, saith the Lord, and I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all countries where I, whither I have driven them and will bring them again to their folds and they shall be fruitful and increase. And I will set up shepherds over them, which shall feed them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed. Neither be, shall they be lacking, saith the Lord. And so, we've talked a lot in the past about abusive pastors, and it's important that we understand they will always exist, but you know what? They will also always be judged. And some, some of these wicked pastors are false prophets who creep in unawares. But I think many... Uh, abusive pastors are often good men that turned bad. I think that's very possible too, where somebody who was, was a good guy, wanted to serve the Lord, but things took a toll on him and he kind of went dark side for lack of a better term. And And not even like dark side, just so much, you know, sometimes people sin. They sin. Pastors can, are very capable of sin. Pastors deal with temptations just like any other Christian's. And often, even while serving God in the ministry, pastors can grow distant from God and they can backslide and fall into sin, even while being in the, in the ministry. And so just like people under abuse of pastors often go into sin, understand pastors under abuse of congregations often go into sin as well. And that's what I want to talk about. We talk, we talk a lot about abusive pastors. Today, I want to talk about abused pastors. And, I, and I, I just want to go ahead and clarify something. I do not believe I'm an abused pastor. Okay, I, I do not believe I'm an abused pastor. I will say, over the years that I have pastored here, there have been people who have come through that, you know, had they gotten their way, I believe would have caused me, you know, me to be an abused pastor. But there's just some things I've just never even attempted to put up with. Never. 
and, and, and it's not going to. I got a phone call just this week by somebody who didn't appreciate everything I was preaching. You know, I just almost like, well, hey, um, just get used to it because we're not changing. So I've been doing it this way for 12 years. We're not changing. You don't have to be here, you know. And so, um, you know, people like that, I, they come into churches and often pastors will let them tell them what to do. And listen, do you think if I'd have said, you know what, I'm sorry, I'll never do it again. Do you think that would have been the last thing they'd have complained about? Not a chance. You know what that would have told them? Hey, I can control this guy. And before long, you know, they'd have been getting on me all the time. And they've been here two times in the last few months, and they've called and complained twice. And so it's just, you know, and, and in the past, they, they've been to the church total here about five times. And I think I've gotten phone calls four out of those five times. So, and you say, why do you put up with that? Just because you're supposed to, you know, and, but to, to a certain, you know, I'll, I'll deal with it to a certain extent. But so again, there's been lots of people who have, I, I, I know you're kind. You're the kind that abuses preachers. And you know what? I just refuse to put up with it. I, and I've, I've not put up with it. Because I, not only do I not want to be abused as a pastor, but I also don't want to be abusive as a pastor. And I understand it's people like that that can push good people over the edge. And I just don't want to do that. And so as somebody who has been in the ministry my entire adult life, as somebody who grew up in a pastor's home, as someone who has many pastors in their family... I have many pastor friends. I do think I have a pretty good insight into the struggles and the temptations of a pastor. And I do believe there's really two major reasons that we're hearing so many stories about abusive pastors in the IFB. And in reality, it's in many other religions as well. But first off, I just want to, you know, I want to say this, that pastoral abuse, it is, it's never okay and it should never happen. It definitely shouldn't happen. Every pastor needs to have the character to not give in to temptations and they need to do the right thing no matter what. And sometimes that might mean saying, you know what, this church is crazy. I'm getting out of here. You know, I think you ought to do that before you stay and sin, before you stay and you start hurting other people. There's a lot of church. One thing I've learned over the years too, churches that can't find a pastor usually can't find a pastor for a reason. I've heard preachers say that before, and I've learned that's true over the years. These churches that have new pastors coming through all the time, there's typically a reason for it. There's typically a reason. And so, uh, just, we need to understand these things. And, and so, uh, but whenever those temptations come, pastors need to do the right things no matter what. But, when something like this becomes real common, it shouldn't be hard to figure out why it's happening. I think there's a reason these things are happening. And I, I want to talk about these things tonight too because I, I think it's important that you all understand my mindset as I, as I try to lead the church and just kind of, um, you know, my philosophy when it comes to these things because I do. I think it's really important. But first off, I do think there is kind of a systematic problem that's creating this mess. But there's also a human nature problem with the pastor and with the church members that's always been around. And so when you combine a sin problem that every church is going to have to deal with, and if there's a systematic problem as well, then certain trouble is going to become very common. And so, I want to go through an important scripture to show something Paul was dealing with that I believe teaches some principles for churches to make sure that they don't create a monster. And so, because again, 
I, whenever I see these situations where pastors become abusive, I, I never justify it, but I can kind of understand it. I get why he did that. There's a situation I know of right now. This is, I don't know this pastor personally, but just from some of the things that I have observed and some of the behavior that I'm seeing take place right now that a lot of people are very critical of, I kind of get why he's being that way. I don't think he's right in how he's handling this situation, but I get it. It's like, you know what, I, I, I understand why he is behaving this way. This, this kind of makes sense. And so uh, sometimes, you know, people, other pastors were often a little too sympathetic with pastors, even when they are crossing lines, you know, and e- either way, pastors have got to make sure they do the right thing no matter what. But just a few things, though, I want to say, too, is one, I do believe that the Lord called me to start this church. I did start this church. And I did come into this church plant with a certain philosophy about how a pastor should lead his church. And so if you judge success by numbers, then, you know, you could make an argument. I probably have the wrong philosophy, but I haven't seen anything yet that's changed my mind about my philosophy from the scriptures. And that's the important thing. I believe that this lines up with the scriptures. And until somebody proves me I'm wrong from the scriptures, I'm probably going to keep doing things the same way, you know, in spite of what, you know, I'm not going to adjust for results because I think that's one of the things creating the problem too. People are adjusting for results and I don't think that's right. So look what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And I, th- I think by the end of this too, you know, you'll understand this is, this is a right philosophy and mentality, but because so many Baptist churches don't really do it this way, uh, you, you know, a lot of times people have expectations. Like, so that's where I confuse people a lot. Because we're Baptist, independent fundamental Baptist, there's kind of an expectation that you're going to be identical across the board and everything. But no, I mean, there's definitely areas where I veer off from these things, but I think I have scriptural reasons. So verse 1, Paul speaking says, Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are not ye my work in the Lord? If I be not an apostle unto others, yet doubtless I am to you, for the seal of mine apostleship are ye and the Lord. So Paul's showing these people, they were witnesses of the work he was doing as an apostle. They had observed his labor. They were the direct beneficiaries of his labor. And so he said, mine answer to them that do examine me is this. And so it would appear there were those who were calling into questions Paul's motivation for his labor. And so he goes on to say, you know, because a lot of times people do that with pastors. Like he's just doing it for the money. He's just doing it for the power. He's just doing it for whatever. There's always going to be people questioning the motives. And folks, that stinks. Okay, It stinks when people, you're trying to do the right thing and people are questioning your motives. It, it's, it's, it's annoying. To, and, and Paul was dealing with some of that. And so listen to what he said. He said, have we not power to eat and drink? Have we not power to lead about a sister and a wife as well as other apostles and as the brethren of our Lord and Cephas? You know, those in the ministry, and part of this problem, I preached about this the other day, about the man of God. A lot of pastors have elevated the man of God to this super level that I don't think is completely biblical. Paul is showing, like, you know, he's saying, can't we do the same things that everyone else does? You know, can't we have wives? Can't we eat and drink? Can't we do things we enjoy? You know, this is why too, like celibacy for the clergy is absolutely foolish 
and ridiculous. You know, why, why are pastors not supposed to be able to do what other Christians are able to do? And I remember growing up, I used to hear this all the time. You know, like, uh, you know, ever, it was like there was a, a different expectation on us because we were the preacher's kids. And it's just like, well, listen, if it's wrong for the preacher's kids, it's wrong for everybody. That's the way I, that's the way I looked at it, even as a preacher's kid, because I wasn't taught we were like some super above everybody else level, like we were these Levites. That, that's not what we were, that's not what we were taught. And so Paul goes on to say, or I only am Barnabas, have we not power to forbear working? And this doesn't mean the ministry isn't labor, but remember that Paul had a trade. Paul had a craft. And someone serving in the ministry who is doing the work should have the option to quit that job and focus completely on the church if the opportunity is there. It's not always going to be there, but if the opportunity is there and they're doing the work, they ought to be able to do that. He said in verse 7, Who goeth a warfare at any time on his own charges? Who planteth a vineyard and eateth not of the fruit thereof? Or who feedeth the flock and eateth not the milk of the flock? Do we really expect soldiers who are fighting our battles to support themselves? Do we really expect policemen who patrol our streets and, and go after criminals and do all these things? Do we expect them to just voluntarily do these things and uh, us not take care of them? When these are big jobs, we expect them to keep us safe. We expect them to do all these things for us. We expect people to be judges. And, and uh, do these things, uh, you know, we have these civil servants and things. Do we really expect these people to do these things for nothing? If they're doing the work, if we're benefiting from it, shouldn't they be taken care of? Well, that's not even a question. It's not even a question when it comes to soldiers, but all of a sudden when it comes to people in the ministry, a question comes up. And there's a reason for that many times. A bad reason. And so Paul's dealing with that, this here saying, you know, this isn't really fair. Because no, nobody questions the military getting paid. And then he said, Say I these things as a man, or saith not the law the same also? Say, I'm not just saying this. Don't we get a principle in the law? For it is written in the law of Moses, Thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. Doth God take care for oxen? Or saith he it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt. This is written, That he that ploweth should plow in hope, and he that thresheth in hope should be partaker of this hope. So even the animal, he's saying, listen, the law shows that if an oxen is doing work to feed you, you should feed that ox. Do not muzzle that ox. If he wants to reach out and he wants to eat some food when he's treading the corn, you let him eat some of the food. He's doing all this work so you all can eat. He needs to eat too. And you know what? We, we should even take care of animals that benefit us. And we should. Back in the day when they, everybody went around on horses, they should have took care of those horses. You know, those, those animals, they are. They're living creatures. And they have feelings and they have needs and they, have, they experience pain and they have all these things. And you know, the Bible does say in Proverbs 12.10, a righteous man regardeth the life of his beast. But the tender mercies of the wicked are cruel. So you ought to take care of your beast. So what about dogs and cats? They're basically worthless. I, I agree, but again, they're not completely worthless because you know what? Even though we don't use them so much for survival, do you value the companionship? Do you, avow, do you value the fact that they bring you joy and pleasure? I guess that's all they're, most of them are for anymore. I mean, those little chihuahuas, what do they produce? Nothing. But you know what? People like companionship. 
So if you do, if you've got a little puppy or a little kitty cat as a, as a, as a companion, you ought to take care of it. Shouldn't be starving the thing. Okay. I'm not for, I, I might not like animals very much, but I'm not for animal cruelty. Okay. And if that beast is doing, and so just the fact that it is, it's, it's pleasing you. It's there for you. You shouldn't be eating all the time and not feeding it anything and making it starve. That, uh, a righteous person would not do that. And so if we're supposed to take care of animals that are benefiting us, well then, you know, we should take care of people who are benefiting us spiritually. We should take care of pastors, he's saying. And he said, if we have sown unto you spiritual things, is it a great thing if we shall reap your carnal things? Again, what on earth is that cat producing? Nothing. It's not like a cow where you get milk or that you can eat later. Think about it. Dogs, cats, all, most of them, all they do is they, they just cost money. Our cats got into uh, some Eggo waffles or something this week. I tell my wife all the time, they're not worth the life of a waffle or the cost of a waffle. But you know what? My wife values the fact they kill mice. You know, our kids love them. My, my, wife, my, my wife loves those kitties. And so they've destroyed several things. And it kind of makes me mad. Uh, but at, at the same time, um, you know, we, do, we should take care of those things because even that little benefit, everybody expects their needs to be taken care of. And you would, you would think we were terrible people if we just never fed these animals and just, you know, were cruel to them and all that kind of stuff. And so the thing is, you say, well, pastor, it's just spiritual things. I know. And he said, is it a small thing? And think about this too. Okay. People pay doctors. So that helps physically. Okay. How about therapists? Therapists get paid. That just helps emotionally. You know, and they'll, they'll pay. And how about this? You want to know where you can really make some money? You want to know where the real money's at? Entertainers. Think about it. Who's richer? Doctors or entertainers? Who do you think is richer right now? That family doctor, you know, that, that's out there or Taylor Swift? Who do you think is, has got more money? Entertainers. You realize how filthy rich they are? What do they do? Give you a good feeling. You know, you, you could watch them. They make you laugh. And yet, nobody seems to have a problem with the fact... They, athletes. Okay, athletes, what do they do? They play a sport. They throw a ball through a hoop. They hit a baseball. But yet, at the same time, it's okay. What's that one guy we're talking about making gazillion dollars? I forgot how much he's making. The Japanese guy. $700 million. $700 million so a bunch of men in this country can get a good feeling... Watching a game. It's, it's, it's entertainment. And nobody questions that. But then, when you have somebody who wants to help people spiritually, you know, I think they just should work regular jobs. And, you know, I don't, I don't think they need to get paid anything. Really? You know, and, and, he, and you say, well, you know, why, why do entertainers get paid so much? I'll tell you why. Because in our country, we value entertainment a lot more than we value spiritual things. That's why. And I'm not looking for millions of dollars or nothing like that. Okay? I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying that. But I'm just showing you here, it's not a weird thing. And that's the, that's the thing, that's the point Paul's trying to make right here. And so he said, if others be partakers of this power over you, are we not, are not we rather? Nevertheless, we have not used this power, but suffer all things lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ. You know, go refuse to play the plumber and see what happens. Go, go refuse to pay the electrician. Go refuse to pay your gas bill. Go refuse to pay your water bill. 
And what do you think will happen? You know what the city will do? You don't pay your water bill, they'll come shut your water off. You know what ComEd will do? They'll, if you don't pay your electric bill, they'll come shut your electricity off. But it's cold out. That's abusive. I mean, well, that's what happens when you don't pay your bills. They're not going to provide service for you anymore if you don't pay your bills. And so when you have somebody doing spiritual work, and Paul said, we've not used this power over you. I've never sent anybody in this church a bill for any spiritual services rendered. Not done anything like that. But I tell you, if I ever did, it'd be all over the internet how abusive of a pastor I was. But we let everybody in the world do this to us, but not spiritual leaders. And so, verse 13 says, Do ye not know that they which minister about holy things live of the things of the temple? And they which work at the altar are partakers with the altar? Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. And so I do, I understand there's congregations they can't afford to pay a pastor. And you know, and it took years before I was able to go full time here, but every church should work towards this. And it was always the philosophy of this church that when the church was able, the church would put, take me on full time or whatever the church was able to do, the church would do. And we've always done that. And, and you know what? The church has always been very supportive of that. But I will say too, I've always kind of demanded that too. And I'm not ashamed. I'm not, I've never, I thought I'm never going to be ashamed to demand that. I'm not going to be ashamed to expect that. It's biblical. It's right. And you know what? Whenever I get bills from plumbers and electricians and all these other people, they never red faced when they come give me a bill. They're never embarrassed by these things. You know what? They expect it. You know why? Because they did the work. They ought to be paid. They ought to be taken care of. So verse 15, but I have used none of these things, neither have I written these things that it should be so done unto me. For it were better for me to die than that any man should make my glorying void. For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is me if I, uh, unto me if I preach not the gospel. For if I do these things willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. What is my reward then? Verily that when I preach the gospel, I may make the gospel of Christ without charge, that I abuse not my power in the gospel. So the Apostle Paul, he was somebody who voluntarily, he was voluntarily doing these things for free. And you know what? God bless anyone who does that. God bless that man who says, you know what? I, I don't need a check. I don't need these things. But Paul's saying it's not wrong for them to ask that. It's not wrong for them to expect that. And not only have I not been taking that, but at the same time, I'm being examined. I have people calling my apostleship into question. And let me tell you, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Wicked people are always going to come in and they're going to question motives. They're going to question these things, whether the pastor's getting paid, whether the pastor's not getting paid. They're, they're always going to do it, no matter what. If the pastor's getting paid a little, he's getting paid a lot, it's just not going to matter. They're always going to find something. Those who are examining Paul didn't even realize he wasn't even making any money off these people. And sadly, this often happens with people in the ministry. Their motivations get called into question by wicked people. And, you know, and that, that said, especially Paul was sacrificing. Paul was making great sacrifice. I'm not going to take time to read it, but that's where he goes on and he talks about all the things that he would do. To the Jew, I become as a Jew. You know, to them that are under the law, it's under the law. He would do all these things trying not to offend people because his ultimate goal was to reach them with the gospel. He did not want them rejecting his gospel message because he had such a great love for people. And when it came to this Corinthian church that had a lot of issues, I think he must have felt that, you know what, I, I'll have a tougher time reaching them 
if I am getting paid. And so in that situation, he chose not to, but it still didn't matter. He was still being examined. And it, it wasn't right. But Paul did. Paul served these people with great personal sacrifice. There was no legitimate reason for him to be examined the way he was. And so, if I may just talk for a little while, explain a few of the challenges that pastors often deal with that are very challenging. And I do. I believe it sometimes gets pastors turned into a monster. And he, a lot of pastors respond to abuse in a way that's very abusive. And it's not right, but it happens. Pastors should never be abusive, but churches shouldn't abuse the pastor. And, I, I, and I have, I've known many pastors who have suffered greatly as a result of just horrible church members. I, I've known pastors who have major nervous breakdowns. I've known pastors' wives that have had major nervous breakdowns. That, I mean, it's just, I mean, it has messed them up, just, you know, weird health problems and things that are stress-related. Uh, it is a very common thing amongst pastors. And I just, I don't want to deal with that. I, I really don't. So, you know, you ought to take it. Listen, I value my health. First off, I'm not going to be very effective if I die early. Okay? I'm not going to be a very effective if I'm miserable and all that kind of stuff. And, and so there are, there's just been certain abuses I've just all, I've always refused to take. And thankfully, you know, with my time and history in the ministry, I can usually see it coming a mile away. And I said, and, and part of a pastor too, you know, you're supposed to kind of spot the wolves and scare the wolves off and things like that. And, and there are, there are certain types that are in most churches that we've just never had them in here, at least for more than two weeks. <laughs> we get, we get rid of them pretty, we get rid of them pretty quick, but uh, turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 23. Listen to what Paul said here. He said, Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths off. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day have I been in the deep. In journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils of the sea, in perils among false brethren. In weariness and painfulness and watchings often in hunger and thirst and fastings often in cold and nakedness beside those things which are without that which cometh upon me daily the care of all the churches. So not only did Paul, I mean, first of all, Paul did face many physical battles. He just named several of them. But part, one of his many challenges that he named amongst all those challenges was the care of the churches. And let me tell you, many pastors' wives have suffered in the same ways, and sometimes they suffer more, too, because they are the weaker vessel. Sometimes pastors' children are the most likely to walk away from it all because they can't handle what the ministry did to their parents. And I have known many preacher's kids like that where they were so burned out by Christians, by church members, because they saw what their parents went through, they just walk away from it all. And so, in fact, you know, I was joking with some of my family members one time where we were just, you know, it was, it was on a really bad day. You know, it was, it was one of those really bad days that you have sometime. It was one really bad day this year uh, that we had. And I, w- I happened to be with my family that day. And we were just, I was talking with some of my sister and I was just like, why did we go into the ministry? I was like, we grew up in a pastor's home. 
What were we thinking? <laughs> because and, and you know we were we were being funny, but at the same time too, we were saying this because there was nothing that we had faced that we didn't see our dad go through. You know, it's like like everything that I've ever dealt with, I, I've never dealt with anything new that. Uh, you know, that my dad didn't deal with, that other pastors I knew didn't deal with, and that probably hadn't de- dealt with it worse. So, I mean, the reality is, you know, whenever these kind of things happen, you know, you do, you have those thoughts cross your mind, but we were, we were just joking. It's like, that, that was stupid. It's like, we saw what it was like, but at the same time, you know, we're, we're still doing it. Why? Right? You know, because, because we believe in it, but it is a fact, you know, because I, I, I do know too, one of the mentalities I've always had, I, I do try to, pay close attention to my kids and what's going on. And, and I try to be protective of my wife and kids. Cause I'm just going to tell you right now, you know, I would rather my kids go on and serve the Lord than all of you go on and serve the Lord. Okay? I hope you all go on and serve the Lord. But if I got to sacrifice somebody, I'm sacrificing everybody in the church before my kids. Everybody okay with that? I mean, I think it's okay if you have that same mentality too, that if we start destroying you and your family, that, you know, you, that you sacrifice us before you do your own family. Because ultimately, like all of you, I am responsible for my family. And so if I, if, just like if a member finds themselves in an abusive church under abusive pastor, they ought to get out of there. You know, I think a pastor, if he ends up in an abusive church, he ought to get out of there. That's what I believe. I don't think I need... Listen, Jesus already sacrificed His own Son for people to be saved. I'm not sacrificing my children for people to be saved. I don't believe God's called me to do that. I don't believe He's asked me... I don't believe He's asked me to do that. And so, just to kind of describe some of the challenges too. So first off, you know, the examining that goes on. Because this is tough for pastors. This this wasn't even a tough one for me when I, I remember when I first went full time... Um, and, and the previous church, because I had worked full time. I got paid a little bit for a while, but then the church finally took me on full time. And I remember I took a really big pay cut and it was a real financial struggle, uh, for a while, but at the same time too, and you know, this wasn't even really the church's fault. It was just kind of something I had to work through in my mind, but it was one of the hard things whenever I went from working an hourly job to getting paid a straight salary working for the church. It was weird because, you know, how, think about this. How do you measure spiritual work with a carnal balance? Think about that. What is a fair exchange rate? Because, you know, how, how do we measure a spiritual service and come up with a dollar amount? Because, I mean, you know, you guys would think something, it's like, it's like when Hunter Biden was getting paid a gazillion dollars working for Ukraine when he had no experience doing nothing. It's like, hey, that seems like an unfair balance. He's making an awful lot of money for what he's supposedly doing. I think there's something wrong here. This is like an unfair exchange rate we have going on. And it's, it caused a lot of questions, right? And most jobs, it's like, you know, there is. There's a, there's a typical market price. You know, there's an expectation. If you're an electrician... There's kind of a going rate that electricians typically get paid and for plumbers and everybody. There's kind of a going rate. There's also a physical service that's provided. And so we do. And in our society, we kind of have these exchange rates for different types of services that we're all used to. And just like we expect some jobs to not get paid very much, we expect some jobs to get paid really good. You expected a brain surgeon to make a lot more money than a drive-thru worker at McDonald's, right? 
There's kind of that expectation that we're all used to, that we've grown accustomed to. How do you come up with an exchange rate for spiritual services? How do you, how do you measure that? You know, in my old job, we would have to fill out production sheets where we had to show everything that we did. And there was a way we broke down all the work that we did. We had a production rate. And let me just say this too. In that job, I always, on my evaluation that they would do um, and every monthly and every, every six months, I was always at the 130% level. That's how you get the highest number on your evaluation if, you, if your production was in the 130 level. And so I always tried to make sure I stayed in there. And it made me feel good about the work that I did because I was always getting the top numbers on the evaluations and things. And I was able to physically show, you know, this is how many pallets I unloaded. This is how many cases I unloaded. And there was a way to do that. Then I went to the church where you can work hard, but it's like, how, how do you fill out a, a production sheet of what you've done? A lot of what you're doing, it is, it is, it's, it's spiritual work. A lot of what you're doing too you know, it is, you don't have the most consistent schedules. A lot of what you deal with, it is, it's, it's spiritual, it's emotional stuff. And, uh, and so a lot of times you feel, some days you feel like, you know, I'm not earning my paycheck. Other days you feel like, man, I'm getting paid, I'm not getting paid enough. And so it was, it was very confusing for me. And so this is where things can become burdensome for a pastor. He has all the same carnal needs everyone else has. And pastors have financial goals. They have things that they would like to do. But at the same time, the pastors often find themselves working extremely hard, in many cases, with insufficient funds for the church, where they're struggling to pay their bills or struggling to make it. And it's just like, you know, in your other job, you can go work some overtime. But in a church, it's like, you know, how do you do that? You know, you know what can I turn in to show I deserve more this week? You don't always have that. But you know, the Bible says in 1 Timothy 5.17, let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in word and doctrine. So here it's saying double honor, especially if they're for the laboring in word and doctrine. But often those doing the examining, too in many cases, don't even show up for church half the time. They don't, you know, usually the people who are going to call into question what the pastor's doing are people who aren't in church half the time. They're not involved in the ministry of the church. They're not involved in the soul winning in the church. They don't see half the things that go on. And then, they're, but they're usually the first ones. You know who I find, in my experience, the people who don't give pastors grief are the ones who are involved. You know why? Because typically they see what's going on. It's typically the people that are disconnected that aren't that involved. And so 1 Timothy 4.14 says, neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on in the hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly, un- wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. So notice what Paul said. You need to give yourself wholly to these things. And it's hard to like, I mean, you know, we look at how bad the doctrine is in a lot of Baptist churches. I think there's a reason for that. You know why? Most pastors are not busy laboring in the word and in doctrine. You know what they're mostly laboring doing if they're full time? I'm talking about the full time ones. They're laboring in all the programs to keep everybody entertained in the church. That's what they're mainly laboring on. That's what they're mainly focused on. When I became an assistant pastor, it seemed like that was most of what I did. 
You know, I'm involved in the school, youth group, you know, choir. I'm doing all these extra programs and things so you can keep people involved so they can feel like they're, you know, they're involved in something in the church. So they're like a part of a country club or something like that. You know, that, that's what you feel like you're doing most of the time. But the reality is we need people who are giving themselves wholly to the doctrine. Why? So you will profit from it, but not only will you profit, but those who hear you. He said, thou shalt save thyself and them that hear thee. These things that you are going to learn if you wholly give yourselves to doctrine, it's going to benefit everybody. But folks, the benefit will be spiritual. The benefit will be spiritual, not necessarily physical. Every church needs someone giving himself wholly to these things. And the things that are taught in the church should be valued by everyone. But this is where things have gotten challenging today. There is not a big market for spiritual things in this country. There's just not a big market for it. Okay? I feel like sometimes as a pastor trying to minister in spiritual things, I feel like a typewriter salesman or an encyclopedia salesman. We just don't really have a market for those things anymore. While people used to make money on those things, it's like we're trying to sell blackberries. Remember how big those were for a while? But nobody, nobody wants them anymore because iPhone came out. Smartphones came out. But folks, here's the reality. While our world has moved on from spiritual things, they still need them. These things still matter, but there's, there's, there's not a big market. It's there, but it's, the demand is not going up. And let me tell you what we're seeing happening in independent fundamental Baptist churches today. We do have certain places that are booming and that are successful because as a whole, IFB churches are dying. And like the sincere ones are all gravitating, gravitating towards those one places that are doing good. But we're not multiplying. We're, and the IFB, we're, we're not growing. And so, here's where we get into the systematic problem. In the scripture, we see Paul describing the work, especially for a pastor, as mostly laboring in the word, winning souls, you know, ministering to the people. And obviously, because Paul too. Paul taught people house to house. When he talked about going house to house, dude, that wasn't even just soul winning. That was him teaching the things of the scriptures. He's going and he's teaching these things publicly and from house to house. He's not just getting up and preaching to the congregation, but people who needed some extra help. He was spending some time with those people and helping them out in these things. And so he was working with them on spiritual things. In today's system, though, this is what we're seeing. This is what churches have become. This is what churches in this area and all over the country are like. We have asked pastors to become more like CEOs of companies. That's what we've done. This has created a carnal pressure and responsibility that the pastor now has to carry. There's this pressure to keep up with all the other churches. Man, this other church, they've got this fun program. They've got all these ball teams. They built this gymnasium. They've got a bowling alley. You know, they got, I mean, they've got, I mean, there's churches with bowling alleys in them. There were back a long time ago when we were looking for a building, there was one in Rockford. It had a two-lane bowling alley in it. And they were selling that place cheap in the ghetto. I was like, man, maybe I ought to move the church to Rockford out. You know, but but um, I, I never went and looked at the building. Yeah, it had a small gym in it too. I think they were asking like a, a little over $100,000 for that place. It was in the ghetto. It looked pretty It looked pretty good, but I, mean, I was like, man, maybe I ought to move to Rockford. But anyway, you know, that that's what a lot of churches are turning into. And, and so they, uh, there's this pressure to keep up with these other churches. 
And then pastors too, you know, so they're going, they're building all these buildings. They're getting all these programs started. They're getting, you know, they're hiring all this staff to keep everyone entertained. But then the pastors too, they're the ones that have to worry about the bills being paid. You know, and the church, they'll vote on taking out all these loans, building new buildings. But then any church member can leave without one single bit of responsibility no accountability. They can just leave because they got aggravated by something while the pastor feels obligated to make sure the church fulfills its obligation. And and because every, everybody does, everybody kind of looks at the pastor to make sure that's done. I mean, think about that. Okay, I can't pay all the bills in this place. But yet, you know, as a church, when, you know, when a church agrees to go and do all these things, shouldn't the whole church follow through on making sure these things get taken care of. I mean, wouldn't you all get mad at me if I just up and left when there's all these bills here and we owe money on the building and stuff like that? You all get mad at me if I just up and left. How come any church member can do that? Think about that. So are you going to make people sign contracts so they can't leave? No, because I get accused of being an abusive pastor. But yet everybody can expect it of me. So do you see how that's not really fair? Now listen, I don't want to make people sign contracts, okay? I believe I should, you know, do all, do all these things too. But I'm just saying, you know, people need to understand, hey, it's not just the pastor. It's me too as a member. I'm a part of this. I want to make sure these things get taken care of. I've, I've voted for that, for church to take on that loan. I voted for the church to go into this. You know, I'm going to make sure I do my part to take care of it, to make sure these things are fulfilled. And so we've turned pastors into CEOs while at the same time expecting them to be spiritual in all things. But think about this. When a CEO, when he rules his company with a firm hand and focuses mainly on the financial success of the company, everybody gets it. But when a pastor does the exact same thing, everyone loses their mind. What do we expect the company of the CEO do to do if one of the employees are not profitable? You're fired. I mean, that was Donald Trump's thing. You're fired. Everybody respected him for that. But then, if somebody comes into our organization, it's like, you know, these people are kind of a drain. And then, like, you're kicked out of the church. Oh, what an abusive pastor. Now listen, I'm not saying we ought to be able to do that. Okay, I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying, when we are turning our churches into these big corporations and expecting pastors to be CEOs, you shouldn't be surprised when he starts acting like one a little bit. Because the pressures are real. The bills are real. You know, these, these challenges are real. If somebody steals in the business, everyone understands that person being fired. But when somebody tries destroying a church, everyone loses their mind if the pastor fights back and says, this isn't fair. And think about it too. And again, you know, pastors, we have the pulpit, we have leadership and all that. But, and, 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 and this is, this is a situation I've seen, I've seen, you know, even recently I've seen some of this. But you will have a pastor who will have people in the congregation lying about the pastor, telling stories. If those lies spread and people believe them, people might, they're going to start leaving the church. That creates a bunch of pressure for the pastor. Well, if people start leaving the church, we're going to lose the tithe. We can't pay the bills. And so pastors, especially of larger churches, they start getting nervous. And you know what they start doing? They start fighting back. They start fighting back from the pulpit. And then everybody's like, man, look at that pastor abusing his congregation. 
hey, no, that CEO is just freaking out because he's got people trying to steal from the company. That's what's going on. And, and, he, and he's freaking out. I mean, and do we expect a pastor to take the responsibility of all these things on and then when somebody is trying to undermine and mess it up, do we not expect him to get a little crazy? Not expect him to get a little combative? Now, that's where we have to decide. What are we going to be in this church? Are we going to become a big corporation? You know, are, are we going to turn into all those things? Because if we do, you're, you're probably going to turn me into a CEO. I don't really, I don't, first off, I wouldn't be a good CEO. I really wouldn't. And, you know, and, but at the same time, that's what a lot, that's what a lot of people are wanting. That's what a lot of people are asking for. Much of the work of pastors today is in reality meeting carnal needs rather than spiritual. Churches, they want schools. They want sports programs. They want kids clubs. They want all these programs to keep them entertained. But many of these things, you know, they are, they're just providing alternatives to worldly pleasures is what they are. I'm not saying a church can't have a program. I'm not saying a church can't have a ball team and a kids club or something like that. I'm not saying you can't do that. But here's what I am saying. When a church becomes all about those things and you start putting all that pressure on that, on that man and ask him to be a CEO, you can't get mad when he turns around, gets upset and acts like a CEO. I'm saying, you know what? Maybe parents need to start figuring out how to entertain their own families. You know, maybe parents ought to figure out ways to have fun. Again, and I love coming together as a church and doing fun stuff. I like that. But you know what I don't like and I'm not very good at? Figuring out how to keep everyone in the church happy all the time. And there are, there's always people too, and we've had them come through here where it's just, you know, it's like they always want to know what the next thing on the program is. What's the next fun thing we're going to do? And it's just like, you know, I, I like doing fun things sometimes, but, you know, I'm not real good at planning that stuff. Some of that stuff's hard to plan. Sometimes a lot of these things you're bringing up cost money. I, and you do, you have the, the people that come up, the people who don't give, they always come up with the most awesome, uh, expensive ideas. It's, it's an awesome idea, but it's an expensive idea too. It's like, why can't the church pay for that? Because you don't give anything? <laughs> That's why. But they want these things. They expect, they expect these things. Oh, I know the other church down the road is. Yeah, well, you know, that pastor is also a brilliant businessman, CEO type. I am not that. That is not my gift. I am not, I am not good in that area. And we need to, and so we, uh, if, but if you expect that, if you want to turn me into a CEO, I'm probably going to start acting like a CEO. You know, and I'm not trying to create a system here or a standard that puts, you know, me or churches like ours above everyone else. But let me just make a few observations about our small church that causes me not to feel inferior to many big churches. Because here's the thing too. What percentage of people in a lot of these larger churches with all their Christian schools, with all their programs, with all their staff, what percentage of these people actually know how to go out and give someone the gospel and do it on a regular basis? Have you ever thought about how many people go to some of these churches, these big fancy churches, don't know how to give somebody the gospel? Isn't that kind of sad? I, I think that's pretty pathetic. You know, I'm very pleased with the fact that many of our young people can and have won people to the Lord out soul winning. And this is not just something they did one time. Everybody's got their story about when they got some people saved back when they were in Bible college and were forced to go out soul winning. No, I'm talking about actively doing it. And of course, yeah, the bigger churches, they always have a lot of people doing it too because they've got staff that they can make do it. 
They've got people in their programs. Hey, if you want to be a part of this program, you've got to be involved in this and this. And that's how a lot of these churches successfully get all these different ministries going. They kind of find the, they have the one thing the people really want. And then they kind of use that as an enforcement mechanism for everything else. Like, oh, you want your kid to keep playing on the basketball team? That's fine. But y'all better make sure you show up for soul winning. Then they show up for soul winning. I don't know. I don't think that should be, you know, that's not, that's not what God's called me to do. Okay. I I decided a long time ago, we're not starting a Christian school here. All right. Everybody okay with that? Because we're not starting, we're not starting a Christian school. I just, I refuse to do it. If, if, if the Liberty Baptist Church ever decides they want a Christian school, then please hire another pastor because I don't want to, I don't want to have anything to do with it. I just, I really don't. How many people too in these other churches? Remember, one of the things he said, Timothy, give yourself wholly to the, to the book, to the scripture, to the doctrine that your profiting may appear to all. That, so other people will be saved by these things that you learn. But how many people in many of these churches can explain the doctrines that they accept? You know how many people that are in churches that they will criticize you, they will attack you if you're not pre-trib, but they can't explain why they're pre-trib. Isn't that interesting? I'll dare you not support Israel. Can you please show me in the Scripture why I should support Israel? Genesis 12. You know, listen, they're not learning anything. Okay, they're, I mean, what's going on in that church? Why isn't that pastor? And I, listen, I've listened to some of these preachers in these churches too. I listen, I've li- I listen to their sermons and it's just like, I don't learn a thing. I, I don't learn a thing from it. But yet they have these, you know, just massive ministries. You know why? Because these are excellent businessmen. They are brilliant CEOs. But you go talk to the people in these churches, they don't know doctrine. You talk to many people who graduate Bible college. And I'm telling you right now, I think many of the young people in this church probably know more doctrine than they do. In fact, I know that they do. There are guys coming out of Bible colleges, getting ordained, and they start pastoring churches. They have no idea how to prove from the Scriptures what they believe. They know what their position is supposed to be. They know a methodology. They know a culture that they're supposed to push and promote. But they don't know how to prove any of these things. But yet the people in this church know how to do these things. I think that's what we ought to focus on. I think, that, I think that's really important. How many people in, the, in these churches too are voluntarily participating in actual spiritual things? Because this is too... you know. I always, I always wondered this, and I found out too. You know, when I, was in, when I was in a larger church that had a lot of these things, is I used to just sit there and wonder sometimes, how many of these people would no longer be a part of this church if the church just, if the school just got rid of the sports program? And you find out. There's a lot of people actively involved in churches saying, I'm IFB all the way. You know why? Because they have a sports program in that church. But they're not, they're not, how many of them would still be in that same church? How many people are in their churches for the doctrine? How many of their churches are in there for the spiritual reasons? These are the things that we see spoken of in the Scriptures. These are the instructions that Paul's given to Timothy for a pastor. He's given him instructions in laboring in the Word, in ministering in spiritual things. And yet so many churches today, they are under so much pressure to meet carnal needs. And then we get shocked 
when these churches become abusive. They've become businesses is what they become. They become these large, multi-million dollar organizations at many times. And if you think those things are going to survive without an iron fist, you're crazy. But we've got to decide, what do we actually want in this church? Do we want a place that's focused on the spiritual or the carnal? I'm not saying we can't do anything. We do some carnal stuff sometimes. We do fun things. But at the same time, we've got to make sure we keep a proper balance on these things. And I believe the key to avoiding all this is churches getting back to a biblical model where church is focused on the spiritual and families can take care of their carnal things. Your, your kids need some fun. Your kids need some good times. But don't, don't expect me to figure out what's fun for everybody. Okay, our, our church can't afford to take everybody to Six Flags all the time and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I, I'm sure that would, that would excite everybody. But, you know, you take your kids to Six Flags. You know, you know, you're, you, you figure out how to entertain your kids and we can do things together sometime. You can do things with other people in the church, but man, don't put all that stuff on the pastor. Don't do that. And so I think we need to stay focused on this, on the spiritual, or at least let me stay focused on the spiritual. Okay. Let me stay focused on the spiritual and too many people end up leaving because of the carnal. And a lot of people are in churches too, because of the friendships and all the and that and that's great. That's a bonus. That's a bonus. But unfortunately, it does it. It, it takes a toll on a pastor. And there, you know, even this year, there are some of the people that have left. Basically, admitted the only reason I was here was for these other people. Well, wait a I thought you were here because you appreciated the stand we had. I thought you appreciated the doctrine we had. I thought you appreciated the soul in these church. But now, because your friend's not here, you're not going to come anymore. And typically, too, it's because. Somebody was saying, telling them something. Somebody was talking. But then if I get up here in church and I just like start, if I, if I go and I'm given my side of things, I'm the abusive pastor all of a sudden. And you know what? I just, I don't do that. I don't go chasing around trying to figure out what, what all is being said and everything. It's always just my hope. People, if they hear something, they'll do the right thing and they'll come talk to me. That's what I hope. But most time people don't do that. You know why? It's, it's carnality. It's carnality, but we, if uh, we've got, I, I always want to stay focused on the spiritual because I don't want to be that abusive pastor. I don't want to just get up here and be like telling everybody, like, let me tell you something about the people you've been talking to. Let me tell you what I know about these people. Uh, that's not right. And I'm going to be the abusive pastor. But in the meantime, though, I do sometimes, and I have many times had to put up with people in the church doing that with me, doing that with about my family. And you know what? That's the kind of stuff that'll create a monster. And that's why you know we we've got to watch out for that. And so the job of a pastor is important. I'm not even going to go into the last scripture I had on this, but we don't want to contribute to turning. You don't want to contribute to turning me into something that I shouldn't be. That is a recipe for abuse on both sides. If we become this big organization where I got to entertain everybody all the time, I'm going to become like a CEO, and I'm probably going to get more worried about money than spiritual things. And it's probably going to get ugly because I'm going to be under a lot of pressure when talk starts going and things start happening. And again, again, some of the talk that was going on this year, it did, it affect, there were some, there were, there were some people that were weak and gullible that, you know, fell for it. And, you know, they fall out when battles come. That happens sometimes. You don't like seeing, you don't like seeing that, but it is, it's, it's a real thing that happens. But, you know, I, I had to search myself all the time to make sure it's like, okay, I can't respond in an abusive way. At some point, these people need to do the right thing. And they know what the right thing is. 
but I can't. I, I got to make sure I'm not doing the wrong thing in the meantime. And so hopefully uh, this just kind of helps you understand my mindset on things. The challenges are real, but again, the, the spiritual things are important. And if if you all if you all are seeing, if you all are learning from the scriptures, if you see a work being done, you see souls getting saved and life, you know, people people's lives being helped. You know that's that's a big deal, and we need to value that. We need to treasure that kind of thing. And so with that, let's pray to your Lord. I thank you so much for this passage. I thank you, Lord, for the people here in this church who have been a blessing uh, and, and are supportive. I pray, Lord, this uh, message has kind of helped understand the philosophy here. I pray, Lord, we won't turn into just some uh, organization that's all about carnal things, but we will stay focused and spiritual on just proclaiming the truth of your word and, and uh, stay focused on seeing souls saved and lives changed. And I pray it just help us be successful. In your name we pray. Amen.